0: Hello, old chap. No, my dear fellow. What brings you to town? What are you doing here? I know it's terribly against protocol to simply drop by your office like this, but my wife and I came up to do some shopping. We thought we should pick up one or two things before they're rationed. (laughs) What with this inconvenient war and all. you have a moment to say hello to her? Your wife? Of course. Bring her in. Come in, Viv. John, this is my wife, Vivian. (laughs) How do you do? Hello. This is John Hamilton. The one I told you about from the bookshop. Oh. Searching for John Milton, of all oh, things. Were you? What on earth were you looking for? Paradise Lost. Oh, I had a copy from school, but it seems to have gone missing. My mother probably chucked it out during one of her spring cleanings. I can't abide Paradise Lost. My parents fancied themselves as poets and did dramatic readings in our house every Tuesday evening. It was such a bore. Are you interested in it for religious or literary reasons? Mm, If you say religious, then I'm afraid we'll have to leave. (laughs) I simply haven't the time for the pious types. (laughs) Uh, uh, We won't keep you, Hamilton. (laughs) But we are having a small party on Saturday night with a few people I believe you'll like. Oh, yes, you must come. Darling, Mm -hmm. we can introduce him to your sister. Yes, that would be lovely. Oh. No, wait, I'm sorry. She's going to a dance at the RAF station. She hopes for me to pilot. I don't understand the fascination myself. Most of them turn out to be mechanics and technical chaps, not the ones with wings. <laughs> and the place is awfully small and crowded, very hot. It all smells of brill cream and sweat. <laughs> the RAF dance, Hamilton, not our party. <laughs> <laughs> Do come. We'll drop you a note with the details. Yes, thank you. I will. Oh, you have a lovely office, Mr. Hamilton. Not one of those dreary grey things one often sees. Thank you. Well then, cheerio, old chap. Uh, pleasure to meet you, Mrs. Brett. Oh, Viv. You must call me Viv or we'll never be friends. Uh, Viv, then. <laughs> hmm. Well done, Wormwood. This is promising. I had hoped you would think so. I gather that this middle-aged couple are just the sort of people we want him to know. Rich, smart, superficially intellectual and brightly sceptical about everything in the world. They are. And I gather that they are even vaguely pacifists. They are, but not on moral grounds. No? No, only from an ingrained habit. Yes, yes, (laughs) I know the type. Good at belittling anything that concerns the great mass of their fellow men, and from a dash of purely fashionable and literary communism. This is excellent. I'm attempting to make good use of my patient's social, sexual and intellectual vanity with a new crowd. Will he commit himself deeply to them? You heard for yourself. I don't mean in words, I mean in the subtle play of looks and tones and laughs, by which a mortal can imply that he is of the same party as those to whom he is speaking. That is the kind of betrayal you should specially encourage, because the man does not fully realise it himself, and by the time he does, you will have made withdrawal difficult. It'll be child's play. You saw how he stumbled all over himself. I expect more at the party on saturday night perhaps but no doubt he will soon realize that his own faith is in direct opposition to the assumptions on which all the conversation of his new friends is based i don't think that matters provided that you can persuade him to postpone any open acknowledgement of the fact and this with the aid of shame pride Uh, modesty and vanity will be easy to do. As long as the postponement lasts he will be in a false position. He will be silent when he ought to speak and laugh when he ought to be silent. He will assume, at first only by his manner but presently by his words, all sorts of cynical and sceptical attitudes which are not really his. But if you play him well, they may become his. Yes, I'm beginning to learn that all mortals tend to turn into the thing they're pretending to be. This is elementary. The real question is how to prepare for the enemy's counter-attack. Right. The first thing is to delay as long as possible the moment at which he realizes this new pleasure as a temptation. Since the enemy's servants have been preaching about the world as one of the great standard temptations for 2,000 years, this might seem difficult to do, but, but, fortunately, they have said very little about it recently. In modern Christian writings, I see few of the old warnings about mammon, worldly vanities, the choice of friends, and the value of time. All of that, your patient would probably classify as Puritanism. And may I say the value we have given to that word is one of the really solid triumphs of the last hundred years. Puritanism? By it, we rescue thousands of humans from temperance, chastity, and sobriety of life. Ah. <laughs> Sooner or later, however, the real nature of his new friends must become clear to him. and Then your tactics must depend on the patient's intelligence. If he is a big enough fool, you can get him to realise the character of the friends only while they are absent. Their presence can be made to sweep away all criticism. If this succeeds, he can be induced to live, as I have known many humans live for quite long periods, Two. years parallel lives. He will not only appear to be, but actually be a different man, in each of the circles he frequents. Is that helpful to us? It can be. If you employ a subtler and more entertaining method, he can be made to take a positive pleasure in the perception that the two sides of his life are inconsistent. How will I do that? By exploiting his vanity. (sighs) He can be taught to enjoy kneeling beside the grocer in church on Sunday, just because he remembers that the grocer could not possibly understand the urbane and mocking world which he inhabited on Saturday evening. And on the other end, he can enjoy the lewdness and blasphemy over coffee with these urbane friends all the more because he is aware of a deeper and spiritual world within him which they cannot understand. You see the idea? Yes, yes. The the, the worldly friends touch him on one side and the grocer on the other, and he believes himself to be the complete, balanced, complex man who sees around them all thus. While being permanently treacherous to at least two sets of people, he will feel, instead of shame, a continual undercurrent of self-satisfaction. Excellent. Finally, if all else fails, you can persuade him, in defiance of conscience, to continue the new acquaintance on the ground that he is, in some unspecified way, doing these people good, by the mere fact that he's drinking their cocktails and laughing at their jokes, and that to cease to do so would be priggish, intolerant, and, of course, Puritanical. (laughs) That's very funny. Meanwhile, you will, of course, take the obvious precaution of seeing that this new development induces him to spend more than he can afford and to neglect his work and his mother. Mm. Her jealousy and alarm and his increasing evasiveness or rudeness will be invaluable for the aggravation of the domestic tension. Yes, Uncle. I'll see to it. You know... I have had my doubts about you, Wormwood. Yes. If you don't botch this up, I may revise them. Oh. Uh. Well, thank you, Uncle.